I'm so excited you decided to take the time to listen to Creative Talk. My name is Eric Humphrey, and on this podcast, I get the chance to speak with some of the most interesting, inspiring people I've worked with and been mentored by. I hope you enjoy. So I'm really excited to be here today with Eddie Francis. We first met probably four years ago. About three, yeah. Three, four years yeah. ago in LA through some interesting circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to be here. Like when I first met Eddie, he was doing this thing in radio from Seattle. And then everybody out with me from Seattle was like, oh, I met this cat, Eddie from Seattle. He's like, Eddie, Eddie Francis? <laughs> the radio dude? Like the man on radio. So I'm just excited to just hear his story and his journey, how he went from being in Seattle on the radio to now he's in L.A. Yeah, on the man. radio. Yo, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Of course. I see I see you, too. Don't downplay yourself, man. You doing it, man. You was like, oh, you got a podcast now, too? I see all the pictures you take and all the famous people, and they be all flying. And, man, you be taking some pictures of some cold ones, too, bro. I'll be like, oh, man. I'll go to their Instagram and be like, man, who is that? What are you, how do you meet these people, man? I've been very fortunate, but this is going to be about you. Eddie. Okay, all right, all right, all right. First, I want to talk about Seattle, where yeah. you grew up, how and how you got in the radio business. So I did a little research, and I saw that when you were 18, you were actually a janitor. Yeah. So how do you go from being a janitor to getting into radio? Okay, so I'm going to break it down for you, man. It's it's a long story, but honestly, it's, it's interesting. And I know it's my tale, but it's wild. So what happened was I had a tough time in high school, and it was very difficult for me. It's kind of cool living in LA because you see how they cultivate the arts and creativity. Where we live in a place like Seattle and other just normal ass cities, they don't look at arts as something you can make a career out of. So as I was struggling through high school, a friend of mine, Justin Booker, shout out to Justin, he saw me in the hallway one day and was like, hey, we're about to go to the local radio station, like the small black radio station back home. Do you want to come with us? And I was like, yeah, when you guys going to go in there like Thursday. So like, all right, cool. So Thursday rolls around. And the DJ says, hey, say your name and what grade you're in. So I go, my name's Eddie and I'm a senior. So after, I mean, this is something straight out of a movie, sounds like. So after I say that, the program director comes in and goes, who said that? And I was like, yo, I'm thinking maybe I'm in trouble or something. I'm like, uh, I said it. So he says, hey, can you come cut a commercial for me? So I was like, uh, yeah, sure, whatever. So I go to another room, Frank P. Barrow, that's the dude's name. He was like, read this. So I read it. So I'm sitting there and it's kind of weird how somebody will put a bug in your ear about something you never really thought about. And I was like, hey, man, you think I could uh, be a radio DJ? He's like, oh, yeah, for sure. I was like, all right. You know, can, can I intern here? Yeah. So I was being kind of lazy. So I was like, all right. So I got a job as being a janitor shortly after that. Like my aunt had lifted up because I wasn't going to go to college. So I was like, all right, man, I'm going to be a janitor. And I was just kind of figuring out, like, what am I going to do? Maybe I'll go to school in a year. Like, that wasn't going to happen. But I used to legit, and this sounds like I'm making this up, I used to pray to God. You read the Source magazine. This is pre-internet. And, like, I used to pray every day, like, God, just give me a job in music. I don't know what I'm going to do. Just give me Every day I would pray this. Oh, wow. Dead ass serious. So I bought this car from my uncle. So a crappy ass car. And all I had was radio. That's it. All I had was a radio in it. And I'm driving around all the time. And I listen to Cube 93, the radio station back home. I remember one time there was this lady on air named Julie Pilot. Remember that name? And she's interviewing Genuine. And my homeboy calls me and says, hey, man, can you take me to my job? And I'm driving around. I'm like, yeah. So taking to his job, listen to this interview. Where he's at the mall where he worked. And he's like, hey, man, let's go inside. I'm like, hold on, let me finish listening to this interview. 
I was like, all right. So she's like, you know, genuine, you stay in great shape. What do you do to do that? And he was like, I do 400 sit-ups a day. I cut off my car. I go inside the mall. Now, remember that. So months later, I figure out the big radio station is having a contest for radio DJ. I'm like, man, a year ago, the dude at the little radio station said I could be a radio DJ. I'd probably go win that. And I was like taking acting classes and stuff at the time. <laughs> but I, I believed in myself. Yeah. And that kind of planted that's a whole nother theory that I ended up like just working for me in life. So I go down to the mall because that's where they're having a competition. I go the day before because I was half listening to the radio station. And I'm like, where is everybody? So I called the radio station. I don't know if you ever tried to call, but no one ever picks, up, picks the phone. up the phone. Ever. Dude picks up the phone. I'm like, yo, what's going on? He's like, oh, it's not till tomorrow. I'm like, oh, where can I just show up at any time? Because I just that's what I did then. He was like, no, you got to be there by 10. Oh, okay, got you. So the next morning, I'm calling my boys like, yo, we should go down to this thing. Like, yo, we can be radio DJs. They're like, nah. But, you know, that wasn't God's calling for them. So I go down there, and the first person I meet is Julie Pilot. Say, hey, how you doing? I'm Julie Pilot. I'm like, hey, what's up? I'm Eddie. I'm 19, and I've been working as a janitor for a year. And so I I go through all these little contests and all this little stuff, and I'm starting to reading what's going on in the room. Like, I've always been kind of observant and kind of figuring out people's behaviors and picking up little idiosyncrasies or whatever. So I'm figuring out how to get through these contests, like these little things here and there. I'm like, yo, people don't like that. People do like that. People this, that, that, that. So they're knocking it down to 10 finalists and they're taking all these scores. And it's like 400 people at the mall or something like that. And they're going down at the top 10. But I don't know what's going on at this point. So they start saying names. About the fourth name, they're like Eddie Francis. I'm like, oh, cool. (laughs) So I run up there and they say the other names and then they start going down the line. Remember, I'm the fourth one. They say, you know, say your name and why you'd be a good radio DJ. So everyone's going, I'm radio, I'd be DJ so-and-so. And I did, and they're all saying, that. I'm looking at the people that work there and they're all making these faces, but they're trying not to make them. And I'm like, ooh, that's not going too well. Uh-huh. So they get to me and I'm like, I'm Eddie Francis. I'm going to go with some of my birth certificate and I got a face made for radio. <laughs> so then after that- They start laughing? They laugh. So then after that, they trim it down to the final four. First thing they say is mine this time. Eddie Francis. I'm like, Yeah. And they got a bucket. And I don't know what the bucket's for. And they're like, pick something out the bucket. And I'm looking like, for what? And they're like, we're going to do a trivia game. Now, I know. My trivia's on point. So uh-huh. I'm like, I'm about to smack it. So I look, and there's a whistle. And I'm th- even then, I'm thinking like, that whistle's loud. I can hit a whistle super quick. So I go up there. I got my whistle. And they say the other three people. So they start going through the trivia. And I'm, I'm killing these guys in the trivia. So at the end, they go, well, we're going to do one more final trivia question worth all these points. I'm like, oh, here comes the bullshit. They about to rig this. <laughs> so then they, I swear to God, they asked me, Genuine stays in great shape. What does he do Get the- to stay in oh, such great there. shape? <laughs> I blow the whistle, stand up and go 400 sit-ups. Bro, there was like this long pause, but I knew I was right. I'm sitting up there cocky. My hands are up in the air. I'm like, I know it's right. So they look and they go, yo, He's right. And I go, so I won? And they're looking, and I'm like, yeah, you won. I'm like, no, 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 quit playing, quit playing. Like, I won for real. Like, I won? They're like, you won. I'm like, no, 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 quit playing. Like, I won. And they're like, you won. Man, I turned all the way on. I told you. I told I'm pointing. I told you I win. I told you. And then I'm like, ooh, let me take it down a few notches. Like, I'm yeah. kind of tripping. So, in long story short, when it was happening, it was supposed to be a short-term position. It was supposed to be like an internship, basically. And they want to, you know, see me about my way, but they ended up liking me and it went from an internship to a career. And I've been in radio for 19 years because I went to a mall one day and won a contest. So, but let me ask, 
you were still working. How did you, when you were intern, was it a paid internship? It was. You quit your job? It was, if I remember, so I gave me a thousand dollar check as part of me winning and it was a paid internship. But when I say paid, I mean like minimum wage, minimal hours, but I wanted to be there. Like I thought it was cool. So I would get more hours and I would have on air shifts and I'd also do like street team stuff. Like I'd go on location with a tent and hey, can I put a bumper sticker on your car? That type of stuff. So I was doing that and it, I was doing it so much. And I was also doing like my little on air shifts. And back then they put you on overnight. So you come off from midnight to like six in the morning on a, on a Friday night. And that would be your shift. Oh, wow. So my friends are partying and stuff like that. And I'm coming home at like 6 a.m., 5 a.m., delirious, sleepy, young. Like, <laughs> oh, man, this is crazy. That started going well. So I quit my job as a janitor. Right away? Not right away. Like a month or two. I was like, man, I'm not doing this no more. Because I've learned in life and I didn't realize it then. But mediocrity is always going to be there. Like you can always be mediocre. Sometimes you got to leap and actually try something. Like, And every time I've leapt, it's led to something good. And this was like the first example of it. So I just quit. Like I can't do this. So after I quit, shortly after, they were doing some stuff with the night show. And they were like, hey, we're doing a new night show. Do you want to be on every day? And I was like the third person on the night show. Like, you're going to be the guy in the street. Oh, wow. And then that went from like the guy in the street to like, you want to be like the main guy with the main girl. And it's just you, you two. I did that for years. And then that turned into mornings and it progressed. And like from that on, it was just like a lot of radio stuff. And then there's other aspects. I don't know if you want to get to it later, but then, you know, some other, other stuff happened. Happen. Yeah. But I do want to go back to the point you made about learning a leap. Mm-hmm. Where did you get that from? Like, is that something you've always had when you were young? Did you see it in your mom or in your stepdad? Like, where did that dynamic come from? I think it's desire to want, always want more. Like, I always in my head pictured myself successful, but never knew in what aspect or how. And I would find myself in certain situations, just like kicking it with my peer group. And I was like, I don't want this. Like, I want more. And whatever seemed like it was the pinnacle at the time, like, nah, there's got to be more than this. And it was my mom always instilled self-belief in me, even though it wasn't tangible. And a lot of it is growing up in church, man, to be honest with you. Like there's like little things they say, like walk by faith and not by sight, have a mustard seed of faith and all this little stuff that if you're not spiritual, it might not make sense to you. But it made all the sense in the world to me of like, yo, I, I have to do this. And what's weird, like later on in life, the physical representation of that was, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade movie with Sean Connery and Indiana Jones. I feel like I've seen all of them. Yeah, there's a part, which I didn't realize when I was a kid, that whole movie's like about the Bible. Uh-huh. Like the whole movie, like I had no clue. They're, like, they're trying to find some thing Jesus drank out. Like I didn't know that at the time, but there's a part where Indiana Jones had to make a leap of faith, like literally. Oh yeah. And there was a big canyon and his dad's king. dying and he had to like walk over some invisible bridge. But he was like, the whole point was you can't see the bridge, but the bridge is there. Uh huh. And he walks and he walks across it. And I've always kind of not even realized I had that in my physical, like I could physically see like, all right, there's nothing there. I got to take a leap because what I'm doing right now, I don't want to do this no more. And I can always come back to this thing. And it's cute. And it sounds great when someone's successful and like Diddy and Jay-Z and those guys always say it. <laughs> but when it's your life, it's scary. And don't don't let me gas you up like, oh, man, it's easy because it's not easy. Like, it's scary. It's weird. You don't want to do it. It's uncomfortable. I guess there's always been something in me. Like, I just even now, like, I always want more. Like, I'm scared of mediocrity. So but are you still scared now after you've taken so many leaps over your life? Do you still get scared now when it's time to take that next leap? Yeah, we all get comfortable. And I can live off of these ideologies all I want. But when it's 
time to pay the mortgage and I have something right here that pays my mortgage and gives me health insurance and I have something over here that's not guaranteed, but it could work out potentially. When I moved here, a scenario like like that's exactly a scenario that happened. I had an opportunity moving to L.A. To, to pursue a, a career in entertainment and radio, which I'm currently working at. And it was like a maybe. It was like, yo, you could possibly or you could stay. I was selling cable in a call center. So I don't want to get okay, too okay. far. Okay, ahead, okay, okay. But so you're on the radio in Seattle. Yeah. You've progressed from interning to now you got your own show and now you're doing the morning show. Yeah. What are some of the biggest things you learned while you were in Seattle on the radio? And you weren't just like on the radio, like everyone I talked to from Seattle. I was a man, fam. You like, were the no man. Eddie Francis yeah. was a man in Seattle. Like you interviewed everyone yeah. from Beyonce to Jay-Z yeah, to yeah, all of them. So all them, yeah. How did that happen and what did you learn over your time in Seattle? I think the biggest thing I had to learn in broadcast and interviewing and entertainment is reading people. And it's something like I figured out back in that contest. It was just understanding people, talking to them on a real personal level, having empathy. Like when an artist comes down and sits with you, they've heard every corny question a million times over, especially when you're in a market like Seattle. It's not it's a big city, but it's not L.A., Chicago, New York, Atlanta. You know, they've talked to 50 million cornballs in a city like yours. So what's going to make you stand out when you're talking to them? And a lot of times I'm not in there to stand out. I'm just trying to talk to them like how you would talk, like have a find something that's interesting. Dig a little bit deeper. Don't just Wikipedia something like, hey, it says right here that you did. Like I remember the other day we did an interview and they were asking someone like, Oh, what's it? It was Snoop's daughter. And it was like, what's it like being Snoop's dad? I'm like, that's a dumb question. Someone asked me, like, that's a dumb ass question. (laughs) Like, what do you mean? Like, how do you answer that? Exactly. Like, what, what's, that's all she knows is Snoop being her dad. And what do you, what do you expect her to say? Like, when you watch those red carpets, they always ask them some cornball shit. Like, hey, so, uh, talk about your new movie. Like, well, what question is that? That's not a question. Talk about your new movie. One of the main lessons I learned is when you're interviewing people, is like listen to them, and then I've learned that throughout life. Like those little skills of like that's if I need to return something, like oh well, we can't return it. It's like oh man, I get it, man. You're just doing your job. Is there anything you can do? Like if just learn how to be like put yourself in other people's shoes and talk to people how you want to be talked to. And it's weird because interview skills have crossed over in so many different aspects of my life that I just take that with me. Like I honestly believe if I just do good stuff, good stuff happens to me, and it usually works. Cause it's like, I just get how, like, I, maybe I'm, it's some kind of energy I'm setting off with people where it's like, oh man, he's cool. And even if it don't work out, it'll work out. Like even when things are inconvenient, like I remember my water heater broke it, but it, it broke right when I got my tax return. I'm like, man, that, that sucked, but that was kind of inconvenient. Exactly. Like, so even when the bad stuff happens, like that was cool. So I don't know, man, I, I've learned a million lessons, but it's the lesson of investing in humans is the biggest thing. We all love money. I love money. But throughout the whole process of my life, the level of success that I've obtained is because I've treated people with respect and not because I wanted to get anything from them. And in some kind of weird ways, it's reciprocated down the line and I've reaped some kind of benefit of it I was never really looking for in the first place. So I make sure that I always give that back. Like I I heard something in church and I always try to tell people this. It's two things that hit me like a brick. They said, there's only one thing you can take to heaven with you. I'm like, seven. I'm like, the hell's that mean? And he's like, other people. I was like, oh, that's a bar. Wow. It's like, yo. So it's like this whole game is like, all I can do is bring other people with me. So I was like, all right, so that's a good one. And then another one I heard was, remember Aeneas Williams, the football player? 
He, no. he used to, he's played for back in the, anyways, he's a Hall of Fame football player, defensive back, and they were doing those NFL film things on him, and it opened on the graveyard. I was like, that's just weird. Why is it open on the graveyard? And then he as Williams was talking to the dude. He goes, you know where the most talented places in the world are? It was all dramatic. He was like, graveyards. Like, a lot of very talented. He was like, most used. people die without giving the world their talents. That's our job. It's about finding your talent and giving it to other people. So that's what I try to do. It's like, just try to bless other people. So is that something you learned? Is that something you was instilled in you while you were at the radio station in Seattle? Or like, where did that come from? Because like a lot of people, not a lot of people, at least I don't like to think, but it's a good amount of people that just, they let their talents do get buried and they don't invest in people. And they look at other things as like objects and material things as like what the goal is versus like taking the people with them. Like that's not something that I think a lot of people understand the true value in. Is that something you've always had or was that something that was taught to you? I think it's something I learned. What it was, was I saw people in positions of power hoarding whatever position they felt that they earned or deserved. And they wouldn't help the next generation or their peers or the people around them to fully unlock their full blessings. Like they would hold on to it. And I learned that like you canceling other people doesn't help you in the long run. Like there's no benefit. Like, yeah, like you might have this little tiny position at the moment, but what did you do the whole time you were there? Like I've seen them block other people. I blocked other people's blessings. I remember exactly who it was and what it was. And I was like, yo, I don't like that taste in my mouth. Like I legitimately hated on somebody once for a position. And I was like, this is when you were at the radio station. At the radio station. Like I can remember. And it probably wasn't even to the degree that I think it was in my head, but I know exactly what it was. And I was like, damn, I stopped somebody else's blessing. So why at that time do you feel like you did that? I don't even really know, man. It just had to be hating. I was on some hating. Like I, I saw someone that I probably didn't all the way jive with. I thought that was going to get a position. And I was like, oh, I don't want that person working with me. It had like, why would I stop someone else? What they got? What's that? How does that impede what I'm doing? So I learned a lesson from that. It's like, yo, that's that's ugly. So I try not to do that now. And like, and honestly, sometimes you might be putting people in position to replace you. But I think that's how everyone views it. Like, oh man, if I help someone else, they're gonna take my spot. But I don't worry about that because I remember someone told me a long time ago that like my next job might not even be created yet. Yeah. So it's crazy you say that because I just listened to, I didn't, I just read something that Tracy Ellis said where she always believed like it's enough sun for everybody. We go outside, it's enough sun for all of us. Bro, I heard Stephen A. Smith say this the other day and I don't really rock with Stephen A. Smith like that, but it was a bar. He said, there's no monopoly on success. At all. So <laughs> I was like, yo, my man, you got a bar. It's like, damn, there's no monopoly on success. It's bro, man, there's success for especially living in LA. Like, man, you can fall backwards into an opportunity. So let's talk about getting to LA. So you you mentioned that in between Seattle and LA, you were selling cable. So what happened was radio's fickle. Radio's a dying industry. It's like working for a newspaper company. So about I mean, I don't even remember the year, like the 15th year into my radio career, I was doing mornings. I got basically laid off. But you were the man in Seattle. I was, bro. I was. But it was just one of those things. Like, it's not even my boss at the time didn't necessarily want to do it, but just working. Radio's in a bad place, you know? So it's kind of like if you work at ESPN and everyone's cutting the cord, like, there's going to be some reciprocal. There's something's going to happen. People yeah. are gonna, like, they got to, it's a bottom line business. All these companies are for profit companies. It's all bottom line. Like, I don't, <laughs> don't let nobody fool you. All these companies are for profit. Man, they are looking at profit margins. 
are we in the red or are we in the black? That's what they're all looking at. Uh-huh. Like, and there's people like way up the ladder that are looking at you as a number, like you're expendable. So that's another thing you got to learn. Like, dude, you can be the man one day and find yourself without a job. So it's ironic because I ended up getting let go. I remember I used to get scared because I saw Avengers, the first Avengers movie. I saw a premiere. The next day, my boss calls me in the office and was like, yeah, basically, we got to let you go. But the thing about radio, people know you're already going to get let go because I got to take you off the website. They got to replace you. So that means the next dude that they've already hired has to come in the week after you. So you not only your boss knows, the Internet guy knows, oh, HR wow. knows. They post your job on like these radio websites the second they tell you. you my key card stopped working by the time I got to the Yo, fam, I got let go. And someone had called me. He's like, yo, man, what happened? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, man, I see in the trade magazine that they let you go. And and I'm like, this is before, right? Bro, when I hit the, when I got to my car, someone called me to let me know <laughs> like, what happened. So I'm sitting there like, oh, man. So now I feel some kind of, my stomach hurts. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, there's people that are happy now. Like, there's a group of people. I don't know who they are, but they're like, oh, I don't like him. No way. Yeah. Oh, he thought he was this. He thought he was that. It's humbling. And I could rub, so I can be egotistical to people. Like, I get my makeup. So you're like, damn, there's there's people that are kind of happy about this whole thing. So how did you handle that? Like, you go from being a man, having a hit radio station to yeah. being let go. <laughs> it's just a weird comparison, man, because people don't get it. But, like, I could understand child stars to a degree. I'm like, yo, at a fairly young age, because I think I was like 32. I was 32. 32 might seem grown, but it's a it's a young age to be like, hey, the best part of your professional career is over. It's behind you. It's kind of like an athlete. Like yeah. at 32, your pinnacle of success is a wrap. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, yo, this is weird. So then you try to find other radio jobs. And you know, I wasn't trying to move. So they were dried up. And then a lot of times on radio, you go to smaller markets. So someone's like, well, there's your job in Tulsa. I'm like, I ain't moving to no Tulsa. <laughs> no, if you're from Tulsa, my bad. Like, that's cool. I ain't moving there. I had to do some soul searching. I was like, all right, well, I got to pay the bills. This radio thing might be over. I could be bitter because a lot of radio people end up getting bitter. Like, oh, man, you know, it ain't what it used to be. Well, it's not going to be what it used to be. They don't. They ain't checking for us. No one's going to the radio to listen to new music. I hate to break it to you. I uh, know. They don't care about us, fam. So I was like, all right, what am I going to do? So after a while, I was trying to like, get all these radio jobs. I'm on unemployment, all this. I was like, I'm just going to get a normal-ass job. So I got a normal-ass job. I was selling cable over the phone. It crushed my ego, fam. So you were selling cable over the phone yeah. in the Seattle market? In the Seattle market. But it was like not just Seattle, though. It was like six other, seven other markets. But, and this is a little off top, but would you call people and they'd be like, is this Eddie Francis it's from ha- the radio? It has happened. It is. Ha- it has definitely happened. And you, now you're just sitting there like, oh, my stomach hurts. <laughs> Even when I first went to the, because it's a big ass call center, it was like 500 people. I remember like people looking at me. And, and there's this weird thing. That's hard to describe to people, but like when you're like a celebrity or local celebrity, when people look at you, you can tell they know who you you are. are. Like even if they're not trying to do it, it's like their pupils do something where they're like, oh, I figured this out. And you're like, oh, so I remember walking through the call center, people damn near pointing like, yo, that's the look. And now like I work with you like I ain't no better than you. We here together. So it was like, yo, man. But it was just it is what it is. But it was rough. It was rough for me. So how did you handle that? At first, it was crap. Like, I hated it. Because you got to realize, working in radio, I work four hours a day. So whether I did nights or mornings, I could do anything in the daytime. Like, I would randomly be at the house. Like, case of point, I did mornings. I get off at 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock a.m., my day is over. 
So I'd be at the crib and it'd be like a Tuesday. And I'd be like, you know what? I feel like cleaning the house. I'm going to clean the house. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to go to the post. I'm, you know what? I'm going to go to the movies. I'm going to wash clothes. Like, I never had to think about, like, I got to wait until the weekend and do stuff. So I remember having my job for a little bit. I, straight up, like, I was like, yo, call my partner. When do you wash clothes? Like, I was straight up confused. He was like, well, you put a load in for you leave or you just wait till the weekend. And I told him, I was like, that's whack. He was like, well, nah, man, that's normal. I said, no, 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 that's whack. You just don't know it because this is your normal. <laughs> like, that's whack. I mean, but it was all kind of stuff like that. Like, I remember really sitting back. Like, I would hear the term happy hour. It's just one of those words. Like, I just like, whatever, happy hour. Like, I remember asking somebody, what is happy hour? No. So you lived in a whole alternative reality to what most people live yeah. when you were on radio. Yeah. So I'm like, when I figured out what happy hour was, I'm like, oh, so we're just getting drunk because we hate our jobs. That's what happy hour. <laughs> There's like this old 80s song that like everyone's living for the weekend. I'm like, it hit me. I'm like, I looked around at work. I'm like, oh, we're all just living for the weekend. This is all of us. This is the whole country. We're all just getting by until the weekend. Like, that's the whole TGIF thing. Like. Oh my God, I'm in the matrix. <laughs> so how did you separate yourself? Well, how did you get through that? And then how did you get to a place where you were back to doing what got you out of the matrix back in the radio? So I had a pivotal moment working at the call center. I was telling a friend of mine how much I hated it. Like, I hate it. This is the worst. I hate it. I can't be doing this. I hate it. And she said, you're looking at it wrong. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, God can't bless you with the next thing he has for you until he appreciate what he's done for you in that moment. Because even though you might not like it, other people view it as a blessing. Like other people would like to be in the position you're in and you're not even appreciating it. So I was like, all right, she's got a point. So, so let me actually take that energy into this, this job I hate. So she told me that. And then it was like, it's on one of those scenes from like Wolf of Wall Street, but like a very, very, very low budget of Wolf of Wall Street. Like every month I was selling more and more stuff. Like I was like, yo, this is kind of working. Let me take this up a few notches. So from that point when she told me that, there became a point where I was like one of the like top five highest selling people in the call center. Now that might not sound like whatever, it sounds lame, but like there was straight up legit money in that. Like I was like, I was getting like $7,000 commission checks. I was like, yeah. Oh, no, wow. don't get it fucked up. They tax the hell out of commission, bro. <laughs> so do. I'm thinking like, it's yo, like this my, yeah, man, <laughs> but I'm thinking like, I'm about to get a $10,000. I ain't never got no $10,000 check. <laughs> oh, then they, they tax it. I'm like, oh, then they try to hit you. Oh, you're getting your taxes. No, you don't. You don't. So I was like, yo, she was right. Like I had to appreciate it. Now, shortly after that, I started hating it again, but it, it unlocked that for me. I'm doing that. And then I get a phone call from my old boss at the radio station. And he's like, and I don't talk to him like that. So I'm like, I'm at work, so I can't answer. Oh, this ain't about to be what I think it's about to be. Like, there ain't no way this can be what I'm thinking it's about to be. So I'm like, huh. So then I'm at work the whole day. Like, I wonder what that phone call is about. So I call him back. And he's being long-winded, but it's what I thought it was. He was like, yo, basically, do you want to come back for work for the radio station? The station it, in Seattle. Yeah, but he but. He's like, but it ain't really the same. We ain't got the money. It's going to be hourly. Can you do nice? And like the money, when he said it ain't the money wasn't there, the money wasn't there. Okay. So I was like, all right, yeah, I'll do it. I'm going to do it just because it's a good look. And I don't know what opportunities might come from this. And I'm blessed to be able to do this again, even though it's not at the same capacity that it used to be. So I was literally, I would go to my, my normal ass day job, which was 22 miles south of my house. Okay. Got off that job. 
would drive to my night job at the radio station, which was 44 miles north from my job in the daytime to drive back 22 miles back south to my crib. It was costing me more money doing it because of gas. I got Denali. So it was costing me more money and gas doing it. But I was like, something's going to come from this. It's just how you got it. I got to make the most of an opportunity. I got an opportunity. Like the money's like the money might not be there, but I'm going to make something happen with this. So what made you even put yourself in that position? Like a lot of people would hear that and be like, the money's not there. It's costing me more to do it. Yeah, I love doing the radio, but the radio ain't going to be paying the bills. So I'm going to stick to this selling cable subscription. Because I just figured like, and like I said, it sounds it sounds crazy because in hindsight it worked out, but in the moment you're like, this something's gonna come from this. Like I just I know it, something's gonna come from this. So where does this belief really come from for you though? Like a lot of people have dreams, aspirations, stuff, but they don't believe in them that it's actually gonna come to fruition. Because I think long term, okay. So I got a partner, and he's always getting into it with his, his little homies because they're always like getting over each other for like a hundred bucks and two bucks and three, but like, just like little denominations of money. And I was like, man, you guys got to like, you burning relationships over money. It's not that serious. So it's like, you got to value these relationships that you have and then value your experiences. And in short term, you might not be the money or the opportunity that you want, but people know that about you. Like they see the work ethic. They know what you're doing. They know what you're about. They know that you're willing to, you know, go the extra mile for certain things. And even when it doesn't all the way line up, there's going to be a lesson from it. Like, I'm going to learn something from this experience. Like, if it doesn't work out, I can quit the radio station in time. But I think if I do this, something will work out. And I don't know why. I don't know why I do half the stuff I do. I just be like, I have a belief. Like, all right, man, if I do this, some. So in saying that, ended up, that's how I ended up moving to L.A. Like, there was an opportunity here to keep follow my pursuits and entertainment in radio a former colleague hit me and was like, yo, I, I basically, I'm, I've been seeing all the stuff you've been doing. I got this opportunity. We're going to be working with like artists, doing development of content, doing all this stuff. Like, would you be willing to move to LA? Now, how that came about, I can't all the way, because I don't think I'm supposed to say where I work and stuff, but I, like, I'm going to allude to it. <laughs> if you find me on Twitter, you can figure out where I work and what I do. There was a super like super famous music producer, and I was going to work with this music producer for this content we were going to do. So, like As famous as you can think. Yep. You can figure it out. And they're like, hey, can you fly out to LA? This person wants to meet you. Do you got any vac- Like, What's up? I said, yep, I can fly out there. I got two vacation days left. Two. Two vacation days at the radio station and two vacations at the cable. At the cable spot. <laughs> I ain't got nothing at the radio station. What's cold about the radio station, I just stopped going. Like, they didn't even know. <laughs> like, I didn't tell nobody because it's automated. So, unless they were listening or, like, unless they checked, they didn't know if I was there or not. Okay. So, I was like, all right, super famous producer guy wants to meet you. So, I was like, all right, I'm going to go. So, I go. Everyone's making me nervous about it. I'm not nervous. I'm just like, whatever. It'll work out. Super famous producer guy likes me. Can you come back next week? Remember I told you I got two vacation days left? And you already spent two. I spent them. <laughs> I can't come there. back next week, but he don't know that. Uh-huh. So he's like, yo, can you come back next week? I said, yup. <laughs> I can come back next week. <laughs> so I signed the NDA, so I can't tell people like why I'm leaving, why where I'm going, like what's going on. Let me just say, I alluded to my mom what was happening. Uh-huh. She's like, I don't have no vacation days left. She goes, quit. Your mom just says, quit. Quit. Okay. She's like, you can move to LA. I'm like, mom, I don't even have, this isn't, I don't have the job. This is basically like the second interview. 
But to get the second interview, I got to not come to work. Quit. <laughs> oh, my God, man. So then I'm going to tell him, like, other partners. I'm like, yo, fam, like, there's this thing. I can't tell you what it is. Quit. I'm like, look, man, like, y'all keep saying quit. This isn't your life. Like, I got a mortgage, bro. I got uh-huh. a dog. I got responsibilities. <laughs> I just got this radio station thing back. They don't know I ain't been going to work to fly to L.A. Like, I can't just quit. So I'm at work. And I was trying to find people to fill in for me and all this kind of stuff. And I couldn't find it. So I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm really about to quit. I'm about to quit. I'm quitting. So I sit there and I quit. But I was too scared to leave. And my boss is like, man, screw it, quit. And I was like, I, I wrote him a letter. I quit. And I stayed at work for like a few more hours. And I was like, all right, man, if I just stay here. And I'm looking out the window. And I'm like, all right, man, if I walk out this door, I really quit. And I'm from Seattle, so it's all dreary and shitty looking and stuff. I'm like, this is depressing. So I leave. And I'm like, wow, I can't believe I did that. And I don't even have no job. I go home. And I'm sitting there like in shock. Like, you know, I quit my job for maybe in a whole nother city. I'm a mama's boy. Like I can potentially not be living my, around my mom no more. Like this is crazy. My homeboys over like, ah, I don't even worry about it. I'm like, everyone's saying, don't worry about it. This ain't y'all life. <laughs> so long story short, the job's like, yo, they rock with you. Can you move to LA? So you, you get the job. They, I get the job. They move me out here. They take care of me. And then that super producer guy, like I ended up working with him like very close for a long time. I ended up telling him that story on air later on. And he was like, you quit? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I never knew you quit. And I was like, yo, I quit, fam. He was like, what? And I was like, yeah, man. I, my boss, that she didn't know I quit. Like, no one. The radio station was like, uh, they called me like, uh, you haven't been coming to work. I'm like, oh, yeah, I quit. <laughs> so I just want to, has your mom always been supportive in you pursuing your dreams? Like, a lot of people's parents sometimes, you know, they want to protect their kids and they're like, take the safe route. Don't quit. They like, keep the job mm-hmm. and then figure out a way to try to do both. But if not, you got this safe, secure job. Like, is that something your mom's always been like, follow your passion, follow your so heart? My mom's a real spiritual lady. And if you ask her, she thinks she's a psychic to a degree. Like, and she be honest, like she be like, she be hipping stuff. I'm like, damn, mom, you was kind of on point. <laughs> So I remember when she told me the story a long time ago, and I don't even know how true this is because uh, I've done some research after the fact, and I'm like, I don't know how accurate. But she told me at a very young age. So when I when I first started working at the radio station when I was younger, she calls me in a room. She's like, EJ, that's what she calls me. She said, remember what I used to tell you when you was a kid? And I was like, what are you talking about? She's like, that story about Quincy Jones's mom. And I was like, oh, yeah. you When Quincy so my mom told me the story when I was little. It was like, when I was a baby, she was catching a bus. And I, like, again, I've looked up Quincy Jones's mom, but she told me the story since my whole life. So I don't think Quincy Jones like moved to Seattle when he was a kid and whatever. So Quincy Jones is like from Seattle, sort of. And she says the story like some lady on a bus one day was like, this baby's going to talk to thousands of people one day. She told me that when I was a kid. I forgot about it. But when she called me into a room, I was like, oh, yeah, you did used to say that. But I, I was acknowledging it at that moment. She goes, well, what do you do for work? I was like, I talk on, oh, mom. That's crazy. Oh, wow. But what she told me too was um because I used to always get in trouble. It's going back to what I said earlier for talking too much in class and stuff, like all the time. All the time. Like too social. I remember my aunt yelled at me one time because the kids had this project where we had to say something about each other as a students, and everyone said I was funny. Like that was the thing, Eddie's funny. So I went to go tell my mom I'm proud. Like, yo, they think I'm funny. She's like, they think you're a joke. Then she yelled at me. I'm like, damn, mom. So so she heard me on the radio a few times. I remember she said something in past. She goes, You're funny. 
I was like, come on, man, keep your it's your show, man. Keep your phone. Go, what happened? <laughs> so she goes, she goes, you're funny. And I was like, all right, cool. She goes, no, I just I didn't know you were funny. And I was like, now it's kind of like, you ain't know I was oh, funny. Yeah. She goes, you're my son. Like, I never looked at it like that. She goes, but people think you're funny. And I was like, oh, but my mom has always taught me to think outside the box. Like, she always told me, don't do things, especially being black growing up, you think you have to do the black thing. Yeah. Like, oh, I don't skateboard. That's for white boys. I don't listen to rock music. That's for white boys. So she always taught me, like, don't think like that. Like, follow your passion. If you love something, do it. Like, if people will make fun of you. But like, do your thing. So growing up, I used to always like collect comic books and draw, and you know, I, I played sports too, and you know, did cool kid stuff. So no one ever made fun of me for it. But it was always one of those weird quirks. Like you collect comic books, which nowadays doesn't sound crazy at all because every movie you go see is like Avengers and Iron Man. But as a kid growing up in the '80s, like being a black kid reading comic books and stuff was kind of out there, weird kind of thing back it was. then. So my mom always always tried to like she would try to get me to like play instruments. Like I tried to play the trumpet growing up, and she'd always try to whatever my thing was to go full steam ahead with it. But like any parent, she wanted. Me me to do well in school and it was frustrating and I put her through hell because I wasn't a good student and I didn't apply myself. I was just straight up like I'd rather do nothing than do school work. Like just just me, but if I was in an environment like here where arts is an option, I would have pursued that. But when you're younger and you live in places like Baltimore, you live in Seattle, you live in Detroit, like they tell you there's one way of learning, follow it. Where if there's 30 kids in a classroom, 30 kids might learn 30 different ways, but a teacher can only teach you one. So it can be frustrating for someone that's like, this isn't my thing. But when I found my thing, I was like, oh, this is my thing. So I would encourage parents to like explore all options. Like ideally, yes, I wish I did better in school. Like I'm not proud of that, but that wasn't how my brain is wired. You have to sometimes reach out and realize this isn't what he is going to excel in. And unfortunately, a lot of kids are getting held back in our school systems because they don't rock with certain stuff. And it sucks. And so the crazy thing, like we talked a little bit before the interview and you're showing me all the stuff you've learned recently just in radio and Mm -hmm. editing and things like that. And you have excelled in that exponentially. Mm -hmm. So take me through. You found the thing that works for you. You found the thing that you're passionate about and that you can get excited about. Take me through, you're working with this super famous producer. What are all the things you've learned from him? What are all the things you've learned in just being in that environment and all the other people that you've come in contact with? That took it up a notch for me, honestly. Even the way I would do things, I would kind of half-ass it a little bit. But when you start realizing there's people that are very successful in life that still go 100% with stuff. You start realizing, like, yo, I'm not even, I'm not close to where you're at. And you're, case, I'll tell you a story. This is what it was. So I'm wearing a studio one day. I got this little chick with me. And he comes in there. And I, I can't remember exactly what it was. I think he was saying, like, he was going to try to, like, speak another language or learn another language or something. And in my head, I'm like, why? Like, you're rich. You're famous. You do everything. Like, why? <laughs> so I must have, like, made a face, like, something. And he was like, honestly, growing up with the opportunities we have in this country, for most people, most things are feasible if you want to spend the time. If you want to be a doctor, you can be a doctor. It does take you eight years or whatever, but you can be a doctor if you want to be. He goes, most people aren't willing to spend the time. I am. I was like, oh, man, that's crazy, bro. Like You got all the money in the world and you want to excel. And, and you would just see 
everything that he wants from other people, he's willing to do himself. Like if we're going to be in the studio for 48 hours, he'll be in the studio for 48 hours. And we're all complaining and tired, but he'll do it. And you're like, man. And you can see him kind of like thinking it over and like watching other people. It's like your attitude towards stuff. And you're like, oh, man, your attitude really does go a long way. That's crazy. It's like if you just have a – you don't even got to be the best at something. But if you have a certain attitude like I want to be the best at it, I'll figure it out. But this other dude's way better at you and he's just kind of a dickhead about it. Man, give me the, give me the cat that wants to figure it out. Yeah. I can teach you along the way if you just show a certain kind of like, all right. So I learned that dealing with him. It's like, all right, man, it's not all about your skill set. It's about what you're willing to do to get a goal accomplished. Not about like ask, like, yeah, you ask questions. Like you should ask questions like that. But like, I'm going to take it on my own to figure all this stuff out. Like I'm going to show some drive and initiative. Like people are always taking notes, whether they realize it or not, man. So I learned that. It's like, you can, and people also know when you bullshit or when you talk a good game, like I know it now. Like people start like, hey man, did you, did you do that deck? I need it. Yeah, well, what I wanted was, oh man, you get me the bullshit. <laughs> it's like, all right, like I, it's like, no one wants to hear that. He was like, did you got it? Yup, I got it right here. Boom, pop it open. Even if it's not what you want, it's like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. You don't like that? You don't like that? Nope. Okay, I'll take it out. Just stop making excuses. Just do it. Like, all right, cool. Then all of a sudden, an hour later, hey, I got the revised version of it for you. Do you want to see now? You got it now? So yeah, I made all those changes you wanted. Oh, okay, word. Let me see it. All right. So talk to me about you have this drive, this work ethic, and you're learning all this from this producer. Talk to me about how you were able to manage that. And, you know, I, I started, I met you around this time, but then you were also going through like a very dark personal yeah. in your life. Yes. So what happened with me was I kind of skated through life. Like, even though like it sounds cute through all this stuff, a lot of this stuff just came natural for me. Like it was like, all right, this is easy. This is easy. And I really wasn't going hundred percent. Even when I got the opportunity that I got here, I wasn't really going hundred percent. And the reason one of the reasons why is I was an alcoholic, dog. I was, like, getting drunk every day. Like, I was getting hammered, bro. Like, I was, like, sneaking bottles into my room and yeah. getting, like, I was getting toasty. Dude, we were worried about you. <laughs> yeah. We so, so, yeah, it was, I would, shit, I was worried about me. So, February 17th, what year is it? 2017, enough was enough. And a friend of mine was, like, we were talking. And I was, like, yo, I don't, I, this, I don't like this version of me either. And she was like, yo, would you go to rehab? I was like, yeah, I would. So she took my credit card. And I was like, wait, what are you doing? She was like, you're going to rehab tomorrow. And I was like, what? And I was already drunk at the time. I was like, well, all right, let me finish this bottle. If you stop yapping to me, I'll go to rehab tomorrow. So long story short, that's what happened. It was already paid for. Don't get it twisted. Like, I was hoping she'd forget. I'm like, man, I hope she remember. I don't really want to go to rehab. She already called my boss and was like, yo, can he go to rehab? And they were supportive of it. I did they know, like the people you work with, did they know you had? Not everybody, not everybody, but some people were figuring it out. For the vast majority of people had no idea, but the people that were closer to me was like, yo, something's, something's off of my man. But you also got to realize I didn't know those people not too long ago. So like that, they probably just thought that was my normal behavior. So that's why most people couldn't figure it out. That's the thing about alcohol too is it's such a social thing that most people don't think you have an issue because half the time they're alcoholics too. Like it's, you know, if someone's smoking crack, it's like, yo, it's, whoa, fam, you say you about to smoke some crack? Hold that time out, man. So, hey, man, want you this heroin? Whoa, you want you heroin? But ain't no one tripping this out. You want to get some drinks after work? But you don't know what that person's dealing with or the other people you're going with. It's it's too social. Like even when I was telling people, it's like, man, I think I got alcohol problems. Oh, no, nah, man, you cool. Like it's kind of like one of those things where people are like, I'm screaming for help. 
But screaming for help isn't always screaming. It's a whisper. Yeah. Like the vocals of it is a whisper, but on the inside, I'm screaming like somebody help me because I couldn't control myself. So it was a the right opportunity came into play where someone was like, nah, dog, you need help, help. And and don't get it fucked up. This wasn't the first, second, third, fourth, fifth time. So this is like probably the thousandth time someone told me it's like, bro, you're tripping. But if for some reason that day, it was the right circumstance of events where I was like, all right, I'll go to rehab. Like, I don't know what was in the stars that day. So I go to rehab. Rehab's a monster, fam. Like, re, like you ain't just going to alcohol rehab. Like, you're going like, I was in there with, like, heroin addicts and people that were addicted to meth, people that are addicted to crack. But the vast majority of people there don't want to be there because it's court-ordered. So they're like, all right, let me get through this program so I can get, hurry up. And I don't want to go to jail. And so they don't even want to be. They're not even taking it serious. It's not like what you see on TV where it's all cute and stuff. Like, I got in fights in there. Like, one lady came into my room. Like, she looked straight up like, look, a zombie fam. Like, straight up. Like, I was like, yo! Like, 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, I couldn't talk and stuff. Like, I seen some wild stuff in there. But it was one of those things where I didn't want to come back. I was like, I don't don't ever want to come back to rehab. Like, I don't. So, it reminded me, like, I had to go to night school once. And I remember they they said we had to do a book report. And I was like, all right, well, where's the book? And they were like, and they wheeled out the, the TV. And like, you're watching a movie. It's like, we're doing a book report on a movie? And like, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I ain't this dumb. <laughs> like, so when I went to rehab, but now I'm not better than nobody. I'm not, it says in the Bible, God is not a respective person. So that means the richest person, the poorest person, if you use it the same. So I'm not no better than nobody. But like, just seeing what was going to rehab, it's like, oh, man, I'm this bad. Like, I'm this bad where I got to be here. I don't never want to be this bad again. Like, I don't never want to come back to this. So I like that. Honestly, that's what drives me. Like, I don't never want to. I don't. I had a drop of liquor since that night. Like, I don't. So I, how long has it been? Uh, it's been. A, so f- officially, it was a year and a half last week. Like, officially, like. That's amazing. A year and a half. I don't go to. And everybody's walks different. Like, the rehab thing worked for me. But, like, the, the AA stuff, like, I would go to those meetings like, yo, this is depressing. Like, I don't know if you've ever been to an AA meeting, but it's literally like, yeah, man, my life was really, really good. Then I started drinking a lot. And I fucked it all up. And now my life isn't good no more, but it's not as bad as it was. So, talk to me. How do you think you were able to navigate and manage, like, being an alcoholic, working with, you know, rich, famous yeah. people at a wildly successful company? And then going to rehab and then coming out and still being able to maintain the level of success in that that position and everything. It's not easy. I mean, every day is something. And especially early on, I remember every experience I had to go through from that point on, I had to go through sober. So it was like when I got out, it was like March. It was like, okay, what? Summer's gonna happen. Like, what do so I can't go to the beach and have a few drinks? How am I gonna how am I gonna do that? My birthday was a month after that. So my birthday, like, how do I not drink on my birthday? That's gonna be weird. Okay, like not having drinks socially to go out with friends, that's weird. And then, you know, you get into like the holidays, like I said, I'm not drinking Christmas. So all of it was it was I had to learn a new behavior. And even a year and a half later, you still like there's still I don't necessarily have moments where like I wanna get fucked up or nothing like that. But it's still it's still a process whether I want to believe it or not. So as things got easier to handle that aspect of it, it became a drive never to go back. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you listen to Bamani Jones, but he got this thing called I Can't Go Back. And he talks about the D-League. Uh-huh. So there's these dudes that used to be in the So if you don't know what the D-League is, the D-League is like 
for like people that couldn't quite make it to the NBA, they can go in the developmental league. And now it's called the G League. Yep. So there's guys that get called back up to the NBA. And he calls those the can't go back all-stars. Because like, man, they went from like riding the bus every day. Now they in the private jets. It's like, I can't go back, dog. So that's how I look back. It's like, no, nah, man, I can't go back. Like, I'm scared to go back. I know what's over there, man. So I'm a can't go back all-star. Like, I'm living good right now. I don't want to screw this up. And then people see me like, oh, man, you look so nice now. I'm like, oh, man, I can't go back. I must have been looking bad, fam. Like, I can't go. And then two, honestly, all jokes aside, man, I feel like everything that we deal with in life and every experience that we have is kind of what I was saying earlier. It's like we're here to bless other people. Whatever bad happens to me, now I can look at it like I can be empathetic for other people's tragedies or tribulations or whatever circumstances that they're facing. Because a lot of us are silently dying on the inside because we think we're the only ones. Like when someone looks at me, they wouldn't think I used to be an alcoholic because they don't. Most people don't know what alcohol like think alcohol is like a hobo with a bag. And, you know, they have that term functioning alcoholic. Like to uh, most people, that's what I was. Or some people, there's a level of success I have. It's like, oh, he can't be alcoholic because he's that. But if I share my stories and my experiences with people, they're like, look, bro, I had a problem. So I tell people all the time. And like, sometimes it's not ideal, but it doesn't, I'm not ashamed of it because why would I go through something like that if I can't help other people? So I have people, like, you can tell, they'll say, like, so when did you find out you had a problem? And then I know it was like, my man got a problem. So I was like, yo, fam, if you wanna, if you wanna call me, like, let me know. Like, I can't save everybody. I ain't no fucking saint. Like, everything I do ain't perfect, but I'm definitely empathetic to what you're going through because I've gone through it. Or even like when I see people dealing with other kind of addiction issues, I might not have been addicted to crack or heroin or whatever the case may be, but I get it. Like the part of my brain understands how you could basically be thrown it all away because I didn't want to be that person. Like people think you made a choice. Like, oh, he's choosing. And you are. You're making a choice to go buy alcohol and drink. But I didn't want to be as deep down that hole as I was. Like, I wanted to be able to control it. Like, I wanted to be like, oh, man, have a few drinks. I'm chilling. I feel good. That's what I wanted. But it spiraled into something that I couldn't control. There wasn't a balance. You know, I've had relationships with, like, women and stuff like that. I'm like, look, man, you don't, like, I'm not saying you can drink. Like, it just doesn't work for me. The issues that I dealt with isn't for everybody. So I'm not running around telling people, you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't drink. If it works for you, like, I'm jealous. I wish it would work for me like that because drinking is fun. Yeah. It don't work for me. So I'd let everybody else get hammered or, like, I just... Now what I do is I just call it a night, fam. Like I'll go out places. Like I went to the strip club with the homies the other day, but I get tired. My clock now is like, all right, man, I stayed up. I'm here. Like I'm going home, going to sleep, bro. <laughs> I wake up three thirty, four in the morning. I go to the gym. Like that's like that's my new addiction. Like I go to the gym in a year and a half. I missed the gym sixteen days. I was either sick. It was Christmas. I was out of town, and one day I pulled a muscle once, and then one day I felt lazy. That's crazy. Like 16 days over a year and a half is yeah. crazy. Most people wish they could be that dedicated to the gym. Yeah. Or dedicated to anything. Yeah. But those principles yet again have taught me so many other things in life. Do I talk in my head like a crazy person when I'm in the gym? Like on some Michael Jordan weird shit. Like, yeah, these guys don't want it like me. I don't know who these guys are. I don't know what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm going I'm to be successful. You know, you know, I'm out here in the gym. I'm getting it. I'm making this happen. Well, I don't know what I'm making happen. But I, I really will. Like, I've trained myself. as like if you want something, everyone will make excuses. I talk to my friends all day. Like, I got a homeboy of mine. He's always talking about, like, I want to go to the gym. I mean, everyone's calling is not your calling. But he always says why he hasn't gone in the gym. I'm like, bro, 
I wasn't a college athlete. I'm not even in great shape now as much as I work out. Like, I, I'm on a meal plan now to try to drop some more weight. You would think, you know, they were, they were like, in six months, I'm going to finish to this. And you'd be like, how come I ain't look like that in six months? Like, what's, I don't, like that's whack. Like, I'm doing that. I'll be in the gym every day. So I'm not even where I want to be. But I, I learned that you can make excuses or you can just do it. So now I'm just like, yo, I don't either. I'm honest with myself. Like, yo, I'm just bullshit. I'm making excuses or there is no excuse. Like, I don't there is no because we're all lying to ourselves. Like we said, success is not a monopoly. There's opportunities allotted to us and we're not taking advantage of it because we're getting in our own fucking way. Especially someone like me. I don't I don't have any kids. I don't have like I can kind of move the way I want to. I can achieve it. It's about am I getting in my own way? So now that you have this mindset and you've stopped getting in your own way of things, what has happened in your career and what has happened in your personal life? Since I've stopped drinking, it's seriously like a limitless pill went off. Like it's created so much for me. Like I read books now and like I've gotten back into like doing art again. I edit videos and do creative or I'll just try to like create content. Like, all right, I want to do this. I want to do that. Because it's 24 hours and I wake up super early, fam. Like, like I said, I wake up three in the morning. Like, it's dark. Nothing's happening. So I'm just thinking of stuff and jotting it down. And the goal is to be successful. And I don't even know what success is. Like, if I'd have saw my life five years ago and I saw the cable now, like living in LA, I got a nice place. Like, got a nice little chick I'm dating. Like, things are great. Like, I would think that would be success for me. But I want more. Like, and I don't know what necessarily that is. Like, I'll probably never really be satisfied. But I think part of that is what unlocked. Like, I'm never satisfied. I'm happy. I feel blessed. Even wanting other people to bless other people. Like, that's what I just want more. I just want more. That's my new addiction is wanting more. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even want to know what more is. Like, I don't even know. Like, but I just noticed, like, when I certain when I say certain words to people, when I talk to people, like, I can spark. I remember Tupac said something. It's like, I might not change the world, but I can spark the person that might. Yep. It's like, to a degree, I know my strengths and weaknesses. Like, I'm not going to, like, this whole Trump shit, like, I'm not going to be the guy on, on like, my homegirl's Angela Rye. Like, I can't do what <laughs> Angela's doing. Like, yeah. Angela's dope at what she does. That's not my calling. Like, I'm not going to step in, like, if someone's like, hey, man, do you want to speak on CNN and that? Nope. <laughs> that's not my thing <laughs> like i figured out sort of kind of my thing if i can spark someone where they can be the next her again okay cool i'm comfortable with that but it's just it's knowing to a degree your strengths and your weaknesses and god bless her man i don't know how she does that she's pretty amazing i got to work with her a couple of times i seen that and i was like yo <laughs> she's always been like that too that's the crazy part like yes. even when we was kids i was like damn Andrew, you're kind of a lot <laughs> <laughs> So I've only got a few more questions before I ask them. I just want to first thank you for your time. Thank you just for sharing your journey and being so transparent. And I know it's going to impact and help so many people that listen to this. And I mean, it's also like hearing your story is inspiring to me. Like you've dropped so many amazing nuggets. <laughs> Real talk. I'm listening. And I'm like, man, it's so much more that we can all do. And yeah. like we make these excuses and the just do attitude is what we all need to really embrace and take on because I don't want to be buried in a cemetery with my talent, not have unlocked mm. all the talent that God's blessed me mm. with. So thank you for sharing that and for your time today. So the, the last couple of questions I have is one, what's next? I know you said you want more. You don't know what that more is, yeah. but in the immediate future, like, do you know what's next for you? I never know, fam. And it's always been weird, but I've always kind of lived my life like that. Like, I don't, I should probably map this out better. Like there's certain, I'll tell you this. 
my last place, I used to have a chalkboard wall. And I've heard people have vision boards and like that's not really been my bag. But I was like, all right, let me write down certain things that I want to achieve. And I don't know if maybe that's it, but I always feel weird with telling people. But I'll say a few of them. Like one of them was one of them was go to the gym every single day, no matter what. So I was like, all right, cool, did that. But I want to get in the world of animation. And that's one of those things. Like I've talked on radio for my whole life. I draw. I love cartoons. I've been in video games before. Like I was in the first Saints Row game. I was like in some other PC games and stuff like that. Like, As a voice? Yeah, I was a voice. I was oh, wow. Like if in the Saints Row game, I'm my I'm myself. Like I'm a radio DJ named Eddie Francis. <laughs> In the, in the game. I just love animation. Like, I love it. Like, if you even look at my crib, like, you can't see for where we're at. But I got, like, art everywhere that's, like, hand-drawn. And, you know, I draw stuff like that. So, I don't know what I want to do in that world. Like, if I want to voice it, if I want to write it, if I want to, you know, conceptually come up with the idea. But I want to dive into the world of animation because that's always been a passion of mine. Like, I love cartoons. I love kids. I love art. Like, I love all of it. And I don't know how. But I, I'm just going to say it out. I don't really tell people that necessarily, but I'm going to say it out there because I believe in the power of the tongue. And I believe if you speak it, you know, it can come to fruition because I've done it. I've experienced it. So I'll say that I want to somehow get into the world of animation. I don't know exactly how. And I just want to bless people, man, fam, like straight up like this world. I want to do like a, maybe a podcast network. And I've always thought of it like, man, especially now in America, we're all dealing with heavy shit like all of us. Yeah. And it's draining. Like, I'm on Twitter all day. Like, I'm checking social media and I'm looking at it zaps your soul. And like, a lot of us don't understand how that has physical effects, how it has mental effects. And we're, we're, at this point in time, I think a lot of us are walking around with PTSD. We just need something that gives us relief, not to forget about what's going on in the world around us, but we need moments of brevity, man. And that's like I, why I watch a lot of cartoons because it gives me that same feeling I had when I was a kid. So I want to impact the world in kind of that way. Like, let those other people be our freedom fighters, and I will support those. The Colin Kaepernick's of the world, like, thank God people like that exist. I know. Because that's a burden I don't know if I can necessarily bear. Like, I don't know if I could do I will support you, and I will yell from the highest mountaintop how I feel. But I want to be able to give people that relief from time to time because we can't do that all day, man. Especially us in a black community. Like, we've been dealing with it for so long that I remember when Charlottesville was happening, I was about to reach my breaking point. And I was like, yo, like this, I'm I'm losing my mind. And I was like, I wonder how many other people are feeling this way. Like when you start seeing like the police shoot another one, you're like, yo, dog, this is driving me crazy. But we've persevered this long and it's not ideal and it's not okay. We should always want more and want better. But, you know, we need those moments to sit back and be like, oh man, I'm having a good time right now. And that's in part what I want to put on this planet in some kind of way. It's important. I mean, because it is a lot of heavy stuff just happening in the world. And sometimes a lot of people need a break. And even outside of the heavy stuff, like people that are caught up in the matrix, like their daily battles that people are fighting and they just need a break from that. It's a valuable. So my last question, knowing that like you have all these things that you want to do, like it's got to be something that drives you and inspires you to keep doing it. What is that that inspires you? To see these high mountaintops you want to reach to be like, all right, I'm going to climb that mountain and actually get it done. I'm scared of failure. <laughs> like, I'm just really, Isaiah Thomas, the one that, the newer Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. I was on a panel with him one day because he's from Tacoma, which isn't that far from where I'm from in Seattle. And he said, I forgot the exact term, but he said fear drives him because there's always someone like that's trying to take his place or, you know, he's always had to work hard in the position that he's had. And I've seen so many people 
it goes back to one of the first things we said. So many people okay with mediocrity. Mediocracy? Mediocrity. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> like, they're just, it's that eight mile shit. Remember when he says, you ever, you know, I forgot the exact term because you ever get, want to live up here and you just realize you're going to be living down here. Yeah. And we've all become, not all of us, but a lot of us have just become okay with just kind of going through the motions. I forgot. I'm real bad with like quotes with verbatim, but it said a lot of men are buried at 80, but most of them died at 25 or some shit like that. Like internally, you've already died and given up and you're not striving for anything more. You're just kind of going through the motions. And that shit scares me, dog. Like, I don't want to never feel like this is it for because I I felt it before. Like, I know it. Remember that can't go back thing I told you? Yeah. Like, I realized where I was like, yo, so the best things in my life are kind of behind me. <laughs> and it scared me, fam. Like, I'm like, I want to always achieve more, but not more than that. Like, not only for me, I want to create a way for others, too. Like, my family, yeah. Like, I want to be able to buy a house for my mom and, you know, my little sister. But I also want to give other people, like, something to aspire to. Like, oh, I can do that. Because as dope as, like, I think highly of myself. Like, I think I'm dope as fuck. But I tell people <laughs> all the time, like, there's nothing overly special about me. Like, I'm not faster than anybody that like, a lot of I'm not way stronger than other I'm not way funnier than anybody I'm not better looking than a lot of people I'm overall like I'm above average at kind of everything like that's how I view like I'm I'm kind of above average about everything but it's the drive to be like I want more like we should all want more not just for ourselves but for each other man like we should empower our whole community to want more like it, it's obtainable if we strive for it. it might not you might not get what you want necessarily you might not never be a millionaire or a billionaire but you can inspire the people around me like when it's all said and done because like let's be honest man like if you fear death and you deny we all gonna be dead yeah i want to leave something <clears throat> on this planet and like it might not even be like i don't want to leave a building or no stuff it might be like yo man he was a solid dude you know like those cats when you don't be nowhere around like let's say you, we all got that partner like we ain't got nothing bad to say about him uh-huh. It's like, oh man, he's just a good ass dude. Like, man, he good. I ain't one of those people. Like, I just know that about me. Like, I know people, there's some people that don't like certain things I do. Like, the homeboy calls me irritable Eddie. I'll be irritable as shit. But when I'm all said and done, it's like, yo, man, if people can sit back and be like, he did this, he was good, he was positive, he meant well. You know, he might have, you know, rubbed me the wrong way from time to time, but I know he had my best interest at heart. I want to leave that kind of legacy on this planet, man. So it's a constant, like, and it sounds cliche, but it's like every day, I just want to be better. Like, I don't even really know. I don't have a description of what better is, but I think about that. Like, just learn something, achieve something, be better than I was yesterday. Like, I get embarrassed about the person who I was. Like, daily, every day, I get embarrassed about the stuff I was doing when I was drinking every single day. Every day, I get embarrassed by it. And I don't want to cut you off, but I just want to tell you, like, the person you were then, knowing you then, and seeing you now, it's a complete (laughs) 180 transition. And it's inspiring, like. Yeah, you were in a dark period then, but like seeing you on the other side of that yeah. is amazing. And like, I'm super proud to know you <laughs> and know, honestly, because a lot of people that were very close to you were super concerned about yeah. you. I was concerned because I was there a lot. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I I mean, I know Eddie, but I ain't like, that ain't my man. Well, I don't know what to do. Like, I got, what else supposed to do? This nigga ain't going to listen to me. <laughs> type of thing. Yeah, so, but now seeing it, like, it's like you got a light around you, bro. Like, and it's shining bright. Thank you, man. I appreciate that, bro. You got the same thing, man. I see you. But thank you. On that note, we can end this. I just want to thank you for your time. Thank you for continuing to inspire people. Thank you for sharing the dark moments and now being the light to people. I appreciate it, man. I thank you for your time, man. I appreciate everything that you do. 
like I said, man, I just hope to inspire people to do better, man. But, you know, everything ain't super duper serious. Like, let's smile, have fun and enjoy this ride while we're here. That's all I'm here for, man. Like, I'm here for hopefully for a long time and a good time. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right, man. Appreciate it. All right, bro. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please share it with your community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Snapchat. And write a review on iTunes. My goal is to inspire and help as many people as possible. And by you sharing, we will be able to do this together. You can also shoot me an email if you have any suggestions. Thank you for your time.